Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, where each week, Dr. Frank Domino, along with his guests, translates today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. Now, broadcasting from the University of Massachusetts Medical School in Worcester, Mass., your host, Dr. Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health, and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. retired farmer in your practice and he comes in today telling you his right knee is killing him. Bill has severe osteoarthritis of both knees, but in particular the right knee is bad. To complicate matters, Bill's BMI is 33. He has tried various medications on and off in the past and seems to get some benefit from them, but right now his knee pain has really flared up. You've discussed surgery with Bill, but he's afraid of it. But he does point out that his brother, who also has severe osteoarthritis, was recently given a new medicine, oxy-something, that seems to really make him feel better. Bill wants to know if you'll be willing to give him this today. Hi, this is Frank Domino, and joining me today is Alan Ehrlich. Alan is Associate Professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and Executive Editor at Dynamed. Alan, thanks for coming today. Thanks for having me, Frank. Wow, so osteoarthritis of the knee. This is a very common problem, and as our population ages, we, we have to come to grips with what the best evidence says about, about its management. Can you give us any thoughts about what the current state of affairs are regarding uh, treatment for severe osteoarthritis? So osteoarthritis should first be managed with non-pharmacologic approaches. And for someone who's overweight, that would certainly involve weight loss, and for anyone, it involves some type of uh, physical activity regimen. Typically, you want to do strengthening of the muscles around the affected joint, in this case, the knee. You want to make sure you have good thigh strength. And secondly, you want to make sure they're engaging in some type of aerobic activity, either land-based or aquatic-based. For people with knee osteoarthritis, uh, often aquatic-based forms of uh, aerobic exercise are very helpful and uh, they don't put any kind of stress on the joint. That's great. I, I think they're particularly helpful, uh, especially uh, in patients, because as their arthritis worsens, they tend to do less, their muscles atrophy more, and getting them into an aerobics or some sort of exercise program is always a challenge. So if that doesn't work, uh, pharmacologic treatments, and they can be done in conjunction at the same time, are the next approach. Certainly, you'd want to start with acetaminophen or possibly NSAIDs. In older populations, you often want to stay away from NSAIDs because of either renal problems or GI toxicity. But you can certainly treat, manage the pain with both of those. Or the, those are both considered first-line options. If that doesn't work and people are having uh, persistent pain, intra-articular uh, corticosteroid injections are a reasonable option. You can also consider topical capsaicin uh, can be effective, and in some patients you might consider low-dose oral corticosteroids, though that probably is best for a short period of time uh, given the potential toxicity of that. Any thoughts about uh, hyaluronic acid injections? Well, these may have some very short-term benefit. They don't seem to be effective in the long run, and the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons doesn't uh, endorse its use. All right, so we've talked about uh, some non-pharmacologic and some pharmacologic interventions. You mentioned you talked to Bill about joint replacement, and he's hesitant. Where do we go from here? 
Well, many patients who have uh, persistent severe pain ultimately come in and are considering uh, or looking for anything that in the form of pain relief. And when they think of pain relief, they often think of uh, narcotics, some kind of chronic opioid. There was a recent uh, randomized trial that looked at uh, the use of opioids in this type of population. That was the SPACE trial. And what they did was they looked at 240 patients who had either chronic low back pain, chronic knee or hip pain from osteoarthritis. And they had to have the pain for at least six months and the pain was at least five out of 10, so moderate severity. What they did in this trial was they randomized the groups to one of two approaches. Both approaches were to target to pain uh, and function improvement. And one was an opioid-based approach and the other was a non-opioid-based approach. The non-opioid-based approach started with acetaminophen or NSAIDs. If that was ineffective, they could progress to using medications for chronic pain, such as antidepressants or gabapentin. And if that was ineffective, they could progress to uh, medications. This was in a VA system that uh, these uh, third-line medications required prior authorization, and it would involve either duloxetine or, or tramadol or something like that. On the opioid side of things, they started with either immediate release morphine or hydrocodone acetaminophen. If that was ineffective, they progressed to sustained release morphine or sustained release oxycodone. And then finally, fentanyl patches would be the third line uh, for that group. And what did it find? Well, it found that after 12 months, and, and this, they were monitoring the patients throughout the course of the trial, the level of function and uh, uh, was no better with opioids than with the non-opioid therapy. And in fact, the pain intensity over 12 months was actually better in the non-opioid group. The pain control, the pain control yes, improved more. There was better pain control in the non-opioid group than there was in the opioid group, despite pain control being the primary virtue of opioids. Wow, that's, that's quite remarkable. So um, what are we gonna do with Bill? Uh, he, we, we've gotta try to get him to a place where he can be functional. So for someone like Bill, he's probably a good candidate uh, for uh, an intra-articular corticosteroid injection right now. Uh, that often provides very quick relief. You can't do this on a long-term basis uh, in terms of uh, the frequency, probably no more often than every uh, three months for injections, but you could give him an injection right now and it might give him some relief. You wanna make sure he has optimized the non-pharmacologic approaches such as weight loss and exercise, those take longer and he's looking for some type of immediate relief. One thing to keep in mind is that pain tends to wax and wane and so when people come in they're usually at their worst and whatever you do they're often going to get better because the pain would have gotten better anyhow and so you need to keep that in mind and that's particularly true when starting opioids. So if we got to a point where there was no other way to control Bill's pain and we wanted to give him some opioids, it would make sense to use it for a very short-term basis. And I think the results of the SPACE trial show that initiating long-term opioid use uh, is not going to be helpful. The tricky part is that if you give someone opioids and they get prompt relief of their pain, there's going to be a strong temptation for them to keep wanting to use it over and over again. So they have to be educated about the limitations of opioids when used chronically. And I think the study points out that uh, certainly, it's, it's not an alternative to the standard 
approach that we, uh, you know, we've, we've outlined. So you've discussed the adverse effects of NSAIDs, uh, especially in older patients. What are the adverse effects and concerns with opioid prescribing? So opioids can have a number of adverse effects. Uh, certainly constipation is extremely common in anyone who is on chronic opioid therapy. Other uh, side effects can be somewhat more, inter more uh, variable in how frequent they are, but patients may develop uh, significant pruritus. You can certainly get uh, nausea and vomiting. One particularly uh, interesting adverse effect is hyperalgesia, where the skin becomes incredibly sensitive to touch, and so a medicine that is designed to relieve their pain makes them very much more sensitive to pain than they otherwise would be. In addition, obviously, if it's taken to excess, you have problems with respiratory depression and even death, or we're in the midst of an opioid crisis in that regard in this country. And even if your patient is doing fine, there's certainly the risk of diversion, where someone might take their medication and either sell it or uh, use it themselves. And uh, again, on, when used on a long-term basis, there's going to be the development of physical dependence on the opioids. Alan, I think what you've brought forward is, is a great interpretation of this study that shows chronic opioids probably are less ideal than other methods to initially address the pain of uh, osteoarthritis of a lower extremity, uh, but may have a role down the road when all else fails or in an as-needed uh, approach. Yeah, I think this study, again, it, it's limited because the, the group that got the opioids did not have the benefit of other medicines that you would typically use in practice, such as antidepressants, for chronic pain. So certainly, you know, any of my patients who would have chronic low back pain, I would make sure that they were getting either gabapentin or amitriptyline or something like that uh, on a long-term basis uh, prior to even thinking about something like opioids. Obviously, some of those antidepressants, such as amitriptyline, have their own uh, problems with side effects and have their own adverse problems in elderly patients. So there's no perfect solution. But I do think one thing I would take away from the study is the notion that maybe the role of opioids in chronic pain is on a more as-needed basis and to educate patients about the, uh, that fact that when used chronically, they uh, are associated with a bunch of problems. When I talk to patients who are on opioids and uh, for chronic pain conditions, I try and tell them the, the less you use it, the better it works, that it has its most impact immediately in the first day or two when you're using it, and then it tends to, your body becomes accustomed to it. So if you use it briefly, and then you're using it on an intermittent basis, it's often gonna be very effective in those situations. Alan, thanks so much, this was a great discussion. Practice pointer, non-pharmacologic and non-opioid therapies are first and second line treatments for chronic pain, and especially of osteoarthritis of the lower extremities. Consider opioids as add-on therapy and on as a PRN basis. Join us next time when we discuss biomarkers for forms of dementia, and in particular, Alzheimer's disease, and their role in clinical practice. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. For more information about the article referenced in today's episode, look under the resources section of the episode landing page. Need help reaching your CME credit goal this year? If so, Please browse the more than 300 free CME accredited activities now available on primed.com. Thank you again for listening.